So great if you've been with us at all over the summer, the last couple of months, um, you'll have known we've been in the book of Acts. And um, we've been really looking at the accounts of the earliest days of the early church. And we saw how they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they went, they uh, kind of actively went into the world and it kind of expressed and represented God's wisdom um, and the salvation of Jesus Christ. And, you know, 2,000 years later, we're all still sitting here. You know, we're going after the same thing. The, the purpose of the church hasn't changed. And this term, and the term we've been using is uh, metetes, and it's kind of the sense of a learner or a disciple. And kind of the, the purpose of the, the, the series has been we want to learn how to be a people that go better and learn how to do it. Um, and we've been really inspired by the disciples' courage um, and their obedience just to go. And, you know, as we kind of, I'm not actually sticking on a particular passage in Acts, uh, we'll just explain in a minute, but um, they, they kind of seem to, it's kind of like, it's kind of, they have a great time and then they get totally mullered, um, but they always seem to bounce back. They've got incredible stickability. Uh, you know, it's kind of, they get knocked down, get up again, it's Chumbawamba style. And... Um, most of you probably won't have a clue what that is. Um, I'm not as old as I look. Um, it's the opposite. Um, anyway, but what we're going to do, what we read later on, however, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. Um, and in 2 Corinthians 11, um, he writes this. It's not particularly happy, but bear with me. So I'll read it from uh, verse 24. It says this. Paul writes, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers... It's a lot of danger. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in, a cold, in cold and exposure, and apart from the other things, there is daily pressure on me, on my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I must boast in, of the things that show my weakness. Now that is a very long sentence. He could have, it didn't really help me out at the beginning at all. But what we saw is that Paul had an incredible ability um, to navigate suffering. You know, he wasn't put off by difficulty when it came his way. And kind of in the, in the kind of series of Acts, this is kind of um, where we're going to stay um, this evening. So let me just pray for us and, and we'll continue. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you that it gives us life. Thank you that it instructs us. Thank you that it teaches us of who you are and who we are meant to be. And so, Father, we just ask, Lord, as we spend some time thinking around that, Lord, that you'd really speak to our hearts. Lord, it's our deep desire that you change us. It's our deep desire that we have a better revelation of your purpose for us. We want to know more of how you see us. We want to know more of who you are. So, God, we are asking in the next 20 minutes uh, that uh, we would receive your revelation. Amen. Um, now, for Paul, um, you know, to be honest, if we're going to make a, a happy list of, of things that, uh, a wish list of life, uh, danger, exposure, anxiety, these things would not make the list. This would not be a list of the things you wanted to sign up for if it meant following Jesus. But for Paul, following Jesus meant embracing difficulty. For him, obedience came hand in hand with suffering, with physical pain, with relational pain, emotional pain. And it doesn't make a good sell. 
you know, I feel that tension. You know, if God, if you wanted to, if you want to send me out on mission, if you want me to go and be obedient, why do you want to make it so difficult? You know, God, if, if, you, if you love me, you know, why don't you seem to come through for me? You know, why, why don't you, why would you make me be so miserable? Why would you make it be um, so difficult? Because if we're honest, we want to be happy. It's a good thing to want to be happy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to kind of um, pour water on your parade. Um, but we were created to be happy. I'm allowed to, you're allowed to say that. Sometimes we're a bit kind of, we shouldn't want to be happy. We're allowed to be happy. God wants you to be happy. But our souls will therefore go for whatever we will go after, whatever we think will give us the greatest possible pleasure. God wants you to be happy, but our hearts have a, a kind of an, its own idea of what that looks like. And then that's where it gets tricky because we think what we think makes us happy versus what God knows makes us happy are often not quite the same thing. Now, Pete Gregg, who uh, maybe you're probably familiar with, who founded the 24 7 prayer movement, tells this story. I'm just going to read it because there's no way I can make it sound any better than just reading out the book. This is where I could have done with the hand, the other, you know what I mean. Right. Settle down. Right. A distinguished art critic was studying an, ex- an exquisite painting by the Italian Renaissance master Filippino Lippi one day. He stood in the, Nas- in the London National Gallery, gazing at the 15th century depiction of Mary, holding the infant Jesus on her lap with Saints Dominic and Jerome kneeling nearby. But the painting troubled him. There was no doubting Lippi's skill, the use of colour or composition, but the proportions of this picture were slightly wrong. The hills in the background seem exaggerated, as if they might topple out of the frame and at any minute onto the gallery's polished floor. And the two kneeling saints just looked awkward and uncomfortable. Robert Cumming was not the first to criticise Lippi's work for its poor perspective, but he may well have been the last to do so, because at that moment he had a revelation. It suddenly occurred to him that the problem might be his. The painting he was analysing with clinical objectivity was not just another piece of religious art hanging in a gallery alongside other comparative works. It had never been intended to be come anywhere near a gallery, Lippi's painting had been commissioned as an altarpiece, intended to hang in the place of prayer. And so self-consciously, the dignified art critic in the public gallery dropped to his knees before the painting. And suddenly he saw what generations of art critics had missed. From his newfound position of humility, Robert Cumming found himself gazing up at a perfectly proportioned piece. The foreground had moved naturally to its background, and while the saint and the saints settled their awkwardness, like the painting itself having turned into a grace. And as for Mary, she now looked intently and kindly down as she knelt at her feet between the saints. It was not the perspective of the painting that had been wrong all these years. It was the perspective of the people looking at it. Robert Cumming, on bending knee, had found a beauty that Robert Cumming, the proud art critic, could not. All these years, the joke had been upon the succession of experts studying, standing, and analyzing instead of kneeling humbly in prayer. And you say it's not the perspective of difficulty that is the problem, but often it's our position 
in relation to it. So what does, um, and in many ways it's, in, it's incredibly easy to see suffering and difficulty in a particular way, but we can end up missing the real picture. And as, as Robert Cumming, uh, the critic in the story, found, until we adopt the right position, it's likely always to sit uncomfortably with us. So what does the wisdom of the Bible teach us around this stuff? Classic three things. Um, firstly, around suffering, it says expect it. You see, culture, our culture that we live in, our world, is incredibly um, orientated towards making life easy. More convenient, more immediate, more pleasurable, more entertaining. You know, as a, to- as a society, our, our willing- willingness and tolerance for inconvenience and, and pain is remarkably low. It's probably never been lower. You know, our GPs keep getting smarter. Uh, they have to work seven days, or they're meant to be. I'm not quite sure. Don't shoot me. Um, we love you, doctors. Um, you know, if you're feeling lonely or disconnected, you can just get smartphone out and have that kind of sense of connectedness. Um, you know, if we're bored or needing entertainment, you can watch as anything you want for as long as you want, um, anytime you want on Netflix and, and everything else besides. And so you see, culture tells us that suffering and inconvenience has a solution, and it's avoidable. You know, if only that were true. If only actually that were possible. Because the reality is to live is to suffer. I know you all know that. You could all very much testify to that. And Jesus said, you know, in this world, you will have trouble. It wasn't a big secret. And so he said, expect it. Don't be surprised when you have trouble. You're going to have trouble. But like we said, our culture says discomfort is abnormal somehow. But the Bible doesn't say that. You know, in many ways, when we look at uh, Genesis 3, which is kind of uh, the account of the fall of man, and, and effectively, you know, when I'm simplifying it, probably overly reducing it, but, um, you know, God said do this and we said no. And he said, oh dear. And effectively what happened is part of that curse was that we would, and it says we would have to eat our food by the sweat of our brow. Effectively saying work is going to be hard. You're going to experience hard work and then he goes on it says the ground will produce thorns and thistles so the thing you're trying to do will actively resist you and anyone who has a job will know what that feels like I do IT stuff I code sometimes and I can get so angry with code it's usually my fault but it's still doesn't mean I don't get angry with it. And I can, or a client who's being a little bit tedious, you, know, you can feel that rising frustration. We all probably all feel that with many people many times a day. See? And even when we're trying to do a job, so part of the curse is our work will actively resist us. That's normal, sadly. And, it, and you know, like I said, we can repeat that anywhere. And all it really means is life is a slog. The fact that you find life a slog is because we're not living completely in a perfect world. And you see, I have to remind myself all the time that it's going to resist me. Because, you know, fundamentally everything here is a little broken. Thankfully in heaven, I'll write perfect code. I hope we don't need code. That's not part of my heaven. Can you imagine never making a mistake again? (laughs) I like that idea. But anyway, what we, you know, as we move on to like the, the New Testament and where we, the wonderful uh, time we live in now, we see Jesus has put things back together. 
he started that process of redemption or making things new. But it's just in glimpses and reflections. It's just in snippets. You know, this earth has an expiry date. The Bible describes this new heaven and new earth. But it's not quite yet. And so, first point is we shouldn't be surprised on this earth, in this life, when we find difficulty. It's part of the course. We shouldn't be surprised by it. We should be the least surprised by difficulty group of people on the planet. And you see, part of being a disciple, part of being a learner, part of following Jesus, if we spend all our energies focused on reducing pain, avoid, if, we, if we, all we focus on is redu- making our life easier, we won't even make it to the start line of being a disciple. If the focus of orientating everything is to make our lives easier, we can't follow Jesus as he calls us. We can't be the church like we read in Acts. Because you see, if you want to follow Jesus, it's going to hurt. Probably more than normal. You see, following Jesus is not a fair weather activity. And it's likely, like we say, it's going it's to be uncomfortable. And we can't just sit around um, waiting for uh, kind of the, I guess the danger is we can end up um, waiting till everything's perfect and everything's lined up and the conditions are favourable and everything's great and we feel good and everyone's being nice to us and then we'll do the God thing. You know, God, you know, God when I've got that, when I've got my job sorted, when I've got career, when I'm settled in a relationship, then I'll be useful to you. Then I'll be available. Guys, we're, we're never going to be ready. You know, following Jesus is not a fair weather activity. We've got to look beyond it. But what we've actually find, and, and this is kind of only something God seems now to do, is he takes what is clearly bad and has a habit of redeeming it in an incredibly positive way. You see, suffering isn't our enemy. We live as, as if suffering is our most hated enemy. But beyond expecting it, the Bible says we actually should be embracing it. And that's the second one. You see, pain is a tragedy. Let's be really clear on that. All this stuff that is broken is a tragedy. God grieves it. He didn't desire it to be this way. He didn't, in, he didn't create us to live in this environment that is busted. When he sees it hurting us, he grieves with us. He's not unmoved by it. But for those of us who have set our hearts on following Jesus, it's, it's never only a tragedy. It's just a necessary mile on the path to God's purposes for us. It's only just another step in him doing his work in our hearts. It says in Romans 5 that we actually rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And it says that hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It says that suffering produces perseverance. And it's this perseverance which forces, forges character it's, suffering is what God uses to change us. Suffering, God is wanting to use your suffering to change you in wonderful ways. But you see, if we just try and run away from it, if we just see difficulty and try and stick our head in the sand or get, make ourselves super busy or numb ourselves out watching Netflix for 40 hours a week, can you do it? Yeah, don't do that. Um, 
we just miss out. Sticking your head in the sand with difficulty or running away from it, you just miss out. And if I'm honest, I think probably one of the biggest things as a, I don't want to generalize ages, youngish people, of which I'm putting myself in it, um, we love being busy. If we make ourselves busy enough, we don't have to think. If we, if we just, as long as, as long as we we're watching something or listening to something or with people, we don't have to feel, we somehow delude ourselves to not feel feeling miserable. And we kind of focus all our time on just not being on our own. Because if we're honest, some of us, okay, I'm an introvert, I love a night in on my own, dream. I'm in denial in other ways. Um, others of you will literally plan your diary so you never have a night off. Because you, the idea of going back to a place on your own for any length of time quite honestly terrifies you. And you see, whenever I feel angry or afraid, which happens regularly, I've tried to get into the habit of asking myself, God, what are you trying to say to me now? You know, when I feel jealous of someone, I try and ask myself, God, God, what are you, where has my orphaned heart got its perspective wrong? Because in many ways, when we feel pain, when we feel uncomfortable, it's a free it's kind of a free pass of God putting his finger on something. There's always something to learn from a moment of suffering. Any time you feel awkward, any time you feel insecure, any time that you feel afraid, there's something that God wants to say to you about and he wants to straighten up. But it's a disciplined thing. We have to train our minds to kind of intercept those moments. Uh, Larry Crabb, um, who wrote a book called Shattered Dreams, which actually it sounds intense, but it's really good. Um, he says this, he says, um, the highest dream we could ever dream, the wish that if granted would make us happier than any other blessing is to know God, to actually experience him. The problem is we don't believe that the idea is true. We are sent to it in our heads, but we don't feel it in our hearts. But he says, through the pain of shattered lower dreams, we wake up to the realisation that we want an encounter with God more than the blessings of life. And you say, what are you saying? He's saying is that it's through disappointment, through the things that we find hard, that we get a clear picture, the clearest picture of ourselves and our need. And no matter what we think we need in any given moment or situation, the reality is we need God more. And you see, it's only, I don't know about you, this is definitely my experience, but it's only really in my suffering and my being faced with my own weakness that I can actually really fully appreciate God for who he is. Because I don't know about you, but when, I'm, when, when stuff's great, uh, when I'm enjoying things, um, you know, pleasure and comfort, for me, it numbs my desire for God, if I'm honest. I forget incredibly quickly. I get lazy um, I, I, I get absent-minded. I get a bit lethargic. And yet, when I those scenes in my life where I've really needed Him, where I have, they're, they're the ones I have learned to pray. I have never learned to pray in good times. If I'm honest, maybe you guys are just way more disciplined. I need bad stuff to really, really pray.
And so in many ways, we've talked about embracing it. And the danger is, like we say, we can stick our head in the sand. We get no benefit from it. We just keep running and running away from it. But you see, embracing it prays, God, I need you. It feels rubbish. You know how I feel. I don't understand why I have to feel this way. It hurts. I need your help. And then when we embrace it, we can we leave a pause and we can almost hear God say, I know. And I have purpose for this. And I'm redeeming this. I'm not wasting time here. Let me tell you how I see it. Let me remind you who I think you are. Let me remind you how I see things. Let me tell you how proud I am of you. And so in many ways, the most loving thing God can do is allow me to be uncomfortable. How often do we believe that actually when we're uncomfortable, God is blessing us most? I, you know, I catch myself saying that, I think I'm crazy. You know, that, can't, that is just nuts. Thankfully, scripture's a bit clearer than my head. And you see, peace, we all want peace. But peace isn't something we get after a tough bit has passed. Real peace is knowing God in that moment. That's peace. And you see, the ultimate comfort, like the quote suggested, is God himself. Like in many ways, it says, I um, can't remember the verse, I should have it, I haven't even got my notes, I'm making this up. But it says, Christ died once for all for sins, effectively, I'm paraphrasing badly, to bring you to God. You see, everything that is positive, everything that is great about the gospel, forgiveness of sins, justification, being made right with God, everything we celebrate in communion, everything that's good about everything we do here and everything we celebrate, all the songs we sing, is that you get God. You get God. You get to know him in a way you could never have known before. And if, if, you're, if you come to church, I'm speaking to seasoned Christians here, um, if this is me, just like over your head. Why are you here? If you don't want God himself, why are you here? There's not much point. Because everything we're celebrating is that you get God. That you get to know him as a father, as a friend. You get to know him as the great provider. You get to know him as your help and your aid. You get to know him as your counsellor. You, you get to know someone who knows you better than know you, you know yourself. And who promises never to leave you despite you. Who never looks at you and says, you've done that again. Don't you learn anything? A God who never loses patience with you. A God who never gets fed up when you ask him repetitively for the same thing. I've got nephews and when they ask the same thing after about three times, I'm a bit annoyed. And you just start ignoring them. God's not like that. Quick aside, by the way, um, self-pity and denial, they're two sides of the same coin. So we can say denial, let's get busy. That's kind of one bad thing. That's a focus on everything else except the problem. But the whole self-pity thing, you know, woe is me, I've got it worse than everyone else, that just puts the focus on us. 
that's not the focus on God either, by the way. So you can say, oh yeah, but I'm quite reflective of myself. I understand myself. I, I just spend all the time kind of thinking about me and how you know, I get to know myself. Guys, are you wallowing self-pity? So when difficulty comes, who are you? What are you? Are you a denial? Are you in a denier? Or are you an indulger? Personally, I'm probably a self-pity dweller. And you see, the final thing um, is eternity. Um, I'm basically just doing quotes tonight because people say things better than I do. Um, But John Piper writes this. He says, The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and with all the food you ever liked, with all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict and any natural disasters, that sounds pretty good, would you be satisfied with heaven if Christ weren't there? Would you be satisfied? If you had the perfect world, everything we just looked at, would you, even notice, would you, would you notice that God wasn't there? I find that really challenging. Because it begs my question, do I really want him? Or do I just want the kind of the, the nice life and the stuff that comes with him? You see, what, when we suffer and we face difficulty, what it really does is it really reveals what I desire. Am I living for the short-term comfort and pleasure or am I living for a long-term eternal reality? And you see, like the art critic, kneeling before that painting, seeing how it was intended to be seen for the first time, we need to embrace God's wisdom in our suffering in order to really see things clearly. We need to embrace discomfort in order to really know him better. Because if our primary goal is to avoid discomfort, we're not going to be good at being a sent church. Because like we said, Jesus said you're going to have trouble. If we want to be the church that makes, that kind of helps redeem and heal Edinburgh, we can't just be comfortable. It's really tempting and it's really attractive, but we can't. And you see, ultimately, thankfully, suffering carries the purpose of preparing us for eternity. If we're willing to kind of just dwell with it, we're able uh, to kind of almost see it as a reminder that we're not home yet. And we're here for a while, but thankfully we're not here forever. Because it doesn't take a genius to see the world's not as it quite should be. But one day it will be. One day there'll be no pain. One day there'll be no suffering. One day there'll be no insecurity. One day there'll be no anxiety. One day you'll have nothing to ever feel anxious about. That'll be an alien uh, emotion. You'll not even know it. You'll never have, you won't have any bad memories. You won't have any voices in your head that tell you you're no good or that you're not worthy or look at them, aren't they much better than you? We're free from all that. Uh, and John Eldridge writes a, a lovely little kind of 
end to it, and he says this. He says, One day soon, we will round a bend in the road, and our dreams will come true. We really will live happily ever after. The long years in exile will be swept away in the joyful tears of our revival. Every day when we rise, we can tell ourselves, my journey today will bring me, one, will bring me closer to home. It may just be around the bend. All we've longed for, we'll have. All that we've longed to be, we will be. And all that has hurt us so deeply will be swept away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us too much to make it super easy. Lord, we just want to acknowledge the greatest gift is you yourself. And Father, where we haven't enough affection of you, God, we pray that you'd give that revelation to our hearts now. Father, we really pray that we would see you for all that you are. And Father, whether we are self-pity dwellers or sit in denial, God, we pray that we would see our difficulties and our challenges the way that you'd have them. Father, we pray that we would learn from them. Lord, we pray that we'd find you in them. Lord, we pray that we would find that hope that doesn't disappoint. Father, we are so grateful that you love us. Lord, we're so grateful that you're a good God. We're so grateful, Lord, that you hold our eternities in your hands. Lord, we're so grateful that you've not given up on us. Lord, that you know our circumstances, that you're not intimidated by any of our shortcomings. And so, Father, as we just kind of spend a little more time worshipping, Lord, we want to hear you. Lord, whether it's something I've said or something you're just going to say by your Holy Spirit, God. Father, we just pray for the next 10 minutes. It wouldn't just be waiting for this gathering to end. Lord, that it would be a sacred moment that we set apart in our hearts and say, God, what do you want to say to us? Lord, what do you want to remind me of that I've forgotten? Lord, it's been a long time since I've heard your voice. And Father, as Samuel said, Lord, in the Old Testament, God, we say, Lord, we say speak, your servants are listening. Lord, we are open to you. Amen. So we're just going to sing. But like I say, the guys are prayer guys uh, love just to pray about with you anything that you kind of feel God's reminded you of or put on your heart you can also just just say if you came with someone just turn the person next to you God actually what is God what's God saying to you what is it that you actually need God um, to remind you of that somebody else can stand next to you as a human agent and a minister of the Holy Spirit and say will you just pray for me because the prayer guys are wonderful but they're not magic They're wonderful people. But let's use this next 10 minutes just to really kind of, God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to remind me of? Cheers, guys.